It's Tuesday, April the 7th. We're studying 2 Peter chapter 1. We've reached the bottom of this list. We started with faith, and I counted that as one at one point, and, and seven things to add to that. So eight things in total, seven virtues to add to our faith. We've been looking at those one at a time. We've reached the bottom of the list, but let's get some context by going back to our paragraph here, beginning in verse number three. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, verse 4, which he granted to us by his precious and great, very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Remember we talked about this being something that will be eternally and permanently true in the glorification of our bodies, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires, those things clearly are also going to be completed at the end of time when we get our resurrected bodies. We're in a perfected state, but they're also uh, built upon. They're also progressive in the sense that we are continuing to move forward in those things to reflect more of that divine nature and to escape more of the corruption that's in the world. And those are things that have to happen as we move further into these virtues, uh, these seven things that are added to our faith. So we started with faith here, verse number five, for this very reason, make every effort, that's been our emphasis throughout this, every effort to supplement your faith with, and then our first thing was virtue, and then knowledge, and then self-control, and steadfastness, and godliness. And godliness, he said, brotherly affection, that's what we dealt with last time, and with brotherly affection, he says, add to that love. Uh, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, again, that's the picture here of having every effort, which is depending on how it goes for you this week, next month, next year, those things are to be increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this word right here, love, is different than this word, brotherly affection. We've talked about the difference between Philadelphia and agape. We set us up for that last time we were together. So we're going to deal with that as we look at um, this particular topic, agape love. Now, there's a lot of distinctions that are made sometimes between the four Greek words in classical and addict and Koine Greek, uh, but um, sometimes we make too much of those distinctions. But I think in this case, we look at that word agape that was really focused on in the New Testament as reflecting divine love and the kind of love that we are supposed to uh, then have imitating in our own lives. And I think we learn something about it. We learn something about the fact that God loves in a particular way, which is not sentimentality, it's not feelings-based, and it's not based on the object being worthy of our love. As a matter of fact, that's where I want to start to think through this in terms of agape love. Agape love, let's make a couple clarifications. It's never something that we can think about developing or cultivating toward things, right? Now, I may say I love, and certainly in English language, that's pretty uh, elastic word. I love ice. I love, uh, you know, frosted flakes. I love uh, Porsches. I could list a lot of things that I say I love, but the, the concept of divine love, of agape love, let's put it that way, that's the word in this text, is not something that I would ever attribute to a thing. I want to talk about loving people. People in particular, God is a person. Uh, of course, he is the uh, archetypal person, intellect, emotion, will. He is uh, the one who creates us in his own image. I can only love and rightly love. I should only think in terms of loving uh, people. So let's clarify that. That's the kind of love that I should have toward people. And in particular, uh, the family of God is the primary focus beyond, of course, our love for God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then to love people, and particularly the household of faith first and foremost, and then, of course, to love all. And we saw that in terms of the word um, 
Philadelphia last time we were together. But also, clarification number two is not only is it something that is directed toward people, it's something that is not because of something in someone. It's not because of a characteristic I find in someone. I, I, I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you're nice. I love you because you're friendly. I love you because you make me feel good. Those are not the kinds of things that should ever characterize agape love. Agape love, the idea of this divine love that we're looking to add to our faith, making every effort to add to our faith, is a kind of love that's based on simply the commitment to love. Matter of fact, I want you to look at this passage in the Old Testament, the decision to love. We love because we love. That's a weird way to put it, but that's the way I think we need to think about it. We're choosing to love not because of something in the person. It's something that we choose to do because we choose to do it. Take a look at this Old Testament passage found here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says, speaking of Israel, for you are a uh, people holy. That's the idea of being set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. And again, this is the idea. It's a choice. Chosen you to be a people for his, here's a word, treasured possession. Your mind going to bring you close. The idea of holy is you're set apart from the rest out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, look at this very carefully in verse number seven. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people. This is not a particular comparison between, you know, you were such a great nation. Look at all the people you had there. Maybe like you would think of ancient Egypt or, uh, you know, in the Old Testament as it, it progressed, you know, the, the power of Babylon and the great armies of the Assyrians. You might think of, well, it's not because you were a great nation with a great resource of people or armies or strength. Now, it's not, not because of that. Here's the idea. It's not because of that, verse 7, that the Lord, and I love this phrase, has set his love on you. That's a decision. Again, this is the idea. He's chosen you. Uh, that's not why he chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. Matter of fact, you were just a, a, a puny group of people compared to other nations. But look at verse number 8. Here's the explanation. But it is because the Lord loves you. Okay, what's the question I'm trying to answer? Right? Why did God set his love on us, right? What did he do? Why did he do that? And the answer is, look at this comparison. He he set his love on us because he loves us. <laughs> he chose to love us because he loves us. Why did he choose us? Because he chose us uh, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And again, that's a decision, an oath. He made a promise that the Lord God brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And again, we have the idea here that God loves because God chooses to love. That's a very helpful way for us to think about how we are then supposed to add this to our faith. The work that we are to expend, the effort that we're supposed to expend, making every effort to add to our faith, we trust in God. And one thing you need to add is this concept of agape love, not just Philadelphia love, not just this brotherly affection, but I'm supposed to have this kind of commitment that God has toward people. I want to reflect that same commitment as well. Matter of fact, you think of it maybe in terms of a decision we make in response and, and reflecting God's decision. Look at 2 Kings chapter 11 here, verse 17. It says, uh, Jehoiada, this is the high priest, by the way, not a king, Jehoiada made a covenant and this is the, the picture of a decision, an oath, made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. So the idea here is reflecting that picture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God chooses to set his love on people, and he makes a covenant with the people. And then here is the priest saying, we need to make a covenant to be the Lord's people. It's a decision. It's an oath that is made. 
It's a lot like marriage. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 here. When Paul speaks of the Christian life and he thinks about his missionary endeavors and his evangelistic endeavors in people's lives, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, which is interesting. We often think of jealousy as a human weakness, but of course it's an entirely appropriate thing. When you have two people in a covenant relationship, there should be no threats to that. And the threat that we're going to look at here is, is Satan tempting them. But anyway, let's continue. Verse 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since, since I, here's the covenant commitment, I betrothed you to one husband, speaking of Christ, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I wanted you to be in a relationship with Christ, but he says, I'm seeing things going on in your church and in your lives. I'm afraid that the serpent, as he deceived Eve by his cunning, maybe your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure, here's the idea, devotion to Christ. I'm making this decision for there to be no other gods and no other lords. It's the God of the Bible. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the spirit that's driving me to that kind of clear decision, that covenant, that that commitment, that betrothal. That's the idea as it relates to us giving our devotion and our decision, our covenant back to God. And again, I'm just trying to illustrate here where this is going in terms of our lives. Of course, we're called to love God and we make a decision to love God. I know all of that is predicated upon and driven by and produced by and originating by God and his spirit. But this is the human experience for us to give ourselves in a covenant back to the Lord. And so it is with people. We can see this in scripture when people are making these kinds of covenants. I think of Jonathan and David making a covenant with one another to be friends, to be committed to themselves uh, in, in a connection of friendship with one another. As a matter of fact, the commitment is to be as high as, as David describes it, as he has a commitment to himself. He says he loved Jonathan as he loved himself and made a covenant. And that's the picture. We say, I'm going to care for others, not just like they're my family, but as though they're me. I'm to love my neighbor as myself. That is a commitment that I make to reflect the kind of, of, of love that God has for me. So again, I make a commitment and a covenant to love God, to be his people, right? To be a person, his child, his son. And now I make a commitment to love his body, his people, uh, the people that God has called to himself. And that is the picture of a decisive act, not an emotional act, not a sentimental act, Uh, betrothed, covenant. And again, what does this look like? Well, it looks like caring less about myself. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's very important for us because we have a lot of reasons we don't love others the way perhaps we should or love God the way we should because we're always thinking about being on the losing end of that. If I do all of that, who's going to take care of me, right? If I put myself second and I love someone else that way or I love God that way. In Acts chapter 20, look at verse 35 and and note here, I just got it in the text of, of the ESV, which is in red here, which shows us these are the words of Christ, which is an interesting phrase that we don't find in the gospel, but clearly the, the understanding of the people in the early church, knowing these were the words of Christ, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, it's set up this way. In all things, verse 35, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The concern that we often have is if I give and expect nothing in return, then I become a doormat in my relationships or you know, even people bristling against the concept of being a servant of God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm subservient to him. I've shared the faith with people, the gospel, and they, they, they bristle at that concept. I don't see how God is the master and you're the servant and you're just giving yourself in slavish devotion to 
to Christ. That doesn't seem right because everyone's trained to look after themselves. Everyone really is wired to look after themselves. Well, love is the releasing of that kind of concern. It's like Christ saying, no greater love is anyone than this, as he says in John 15, 13, then that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's the picture of sacrificing for the good of someone else. So agape love is this love regardless of, of what it may cost me. It's a commitment to care beyond myself. Uh, it's something that the Bible says is tested in hard times. I think about uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Take a look at this passage. It says, if we are faithless, speaking of God's love and Christ's love for us, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Well, that's what's that all about? I mean, how is that denying himself? Well, it's denying himself if he's made a covenant to do it. It's like a marriage, right? If you make a covenant to do it, even if there's a problem on the other side and you're not getting out of the deal what you had promised from them toward you, you're keeping that covenant because you're remaining faithful to yourself in the commitment that you made. And so the picture is so great in Scripture of Christ saying, I'm going to love even if I get nothing in return, even if there's faithlessness on the other side. That's the picture of a God who's faithful to his decisive um Problem, or his, his decisive commitment, his covenant, even in spite of the problems. Uh, we need to see that as the act of love, of the commitment and growing uh, virtue in our lives to say, I'm committed to the well-being of others. I'm committed to the agenda of Christ, loving God with all our heart, loving our neighbor as ourself. This is what needs to increase more and more in the Christian life. It's a commitment even that we must affirm, just like David affirmed it to, to Jonathan and made that clear that I'm with you. Matter of fact, they, he gave him uh, uh, tributes of that, uh, of that commitment, that expression, symbols of that commitment, his armor, his sword, and made it clear, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this relationship. Not a bad thing for us to affirm that, even as God does to us, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, I'll, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, speaking of every successive generation. So, Let's grow in our love for God and for each other. Let's make sure that we have that kind of sacrificial, committed love that's a decision, a decisive love, a covenant love, and we see that grow in the vertical direction and really in the tested and, and everyday uh, experience of seeing that grow in our horizontal relationships with one another in the Christian life. So we've gone through all of these eight things, seven virtues added to faith, and we're gonna get into our next verse next time we're together in verse number eight to look at why these things are so important that we're making progress in them all. So thanks for listening today, watching and being a part of our Bible study. We're gonna get back with you into verse number eight next time we're together tomorrow. And and uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you can give us a comment, that would be encouraging to us. I'd love to hear how this is affecting your life and also love for you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back with you next time in our study of Second Peter.